Did you know that the average human spends 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime? That's more than we spend eating, cleaning, driving, watching TV, or even surfing the internet. In fact, work is what we do most. It comes second only to sleeping. Welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast that believes in the integration of life and work. I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you a quick story about why this podcast is so personal to me. I began practicing law at age 26 and learned many valuable lessons, including that I was deeply unhappy at work. Although I was on a path that looked like traditional success, I realized that I needed to quit my job in order to align myself with my passion and purpose. Now I am dedicated to making sure all of our 92,000 hours at work are spent well instead of simply spent. How do we construct a working world that values and accommodates our humanity? How do we construct a life that is not separate from, but fueled by, the purpose we find in our work? In this podcast, we will explore those questions and more. In each episode, I will speak to someone that demonstrates meaning, passion, and purpose in their work. Join me in discovering what happens when we bring our whole selves to our work, schools, and communities. This week, I am joined by Andrew Taylor. Andrew is a native Utah and spent his college summers as a river guide on the Colorado River. He holds a bachelor's degree in organizational communication from the University of Utah and an MBA from Westminster College. He also holds a certificate in substance use disorder counseling from the University of Utah. Andrew married his passions of helping others and exploring the great outdoors by creating his own outdoor adventure therapy program in Costa Rica called Pure Life. Today, we will talk about expectation and risk and how they present themselves personally and professionally. So I gave you a heads up that my, I want to start with a specific question for everybody. So the question is, if you take away any reference to work, school, volunteer activity, church activity, sports, all the stuff that we talk about when we often talk about your success and what you're proud of and your accomplishments, take about, take all that out Mm -hmm. and tell me like personally What's your greatest accomplishment as a human? Or what are you proud of about yourself? Great question. And I've been thinking about it all day. And it's a fantastic question because you're right. My default was, you know, work or, you know, marrying my wife who's an amazing person. Or, you know, that's, it was very hard to be thinking about it not in terms of accomplishments Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I landed on two things. One being, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm a kind person Mm. and that I care about people immensely. And it comes naturally to me. It's something I value and I'm proud of that. The other thing I'm very proud of is that I've followed my heart. In my career, in in my relationships, I'm just proud of the fact that I've followed my heart. Not at every step of the way. There's some practical moments in my path that aren't in my bio. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Right? But that, that, you know, time and time again, when, when it mattered, I made the decision more along the lines of what I felt 
like was speaking to my not to sound cheesy but speaking to my soul <laughs> versus, i don't think it's cheesy at all right right versus because it's you and that's what i love about you but like versus here's what would be good for my resume or here's what would be mm-hmm. practical or here's what would make everyone else around me a lot more comfortable i have not gone that route that's awesome um i've had to at times just out of necessity but most of my young adult and adult path has been more along the lines of searching and following what I felt like I was supposed to do and meant to do and that I, not just passionate about, but that I was good at and that inspired me and that I felt I could do good for the world. I'm proud of that. You should be. It's a good question. It's, and and I'm, I'm, it almost makes me weepy thinking about it because I can remember meeting you and seeing you working through that and your process of working through that and being unapologetic about your dreams mm-hmm. was inspiring to me. Well, thank you. You were <laughs> a part of that process for sure. I mean, you caught me at the the crux of big transitions and big steps and going after it. And you were a part of that. So it was this is fun to have a conversation about. It is, absolutely. So let's yeah. talk about, um, I really think that. I think you're the perfect person to have a conversation in this podcast about uh, expectation Mm -hmm. and risk and those things both individually and combined. Cool. Um, I think, I think there's so much. So I'm really interested in you telling me just as a general overarching perspective, Mm -hmm. what do those words mean to you? um, Or how, and and whatever those definitions are, whatever those mean to you, Mm -hmm. how, how have those things been present in your life? Well, um, so expectations, there's a lot of different ways, I think, a lot of different contexts to take expectations. Initially, I think of managing my personal expectations and managing expectations in running a business and being Mm. an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And when I say manage them, I literally mean managing them so that they don't get out of control. (laughs) Because I think if if you're any kind of a dreamer, on some level, you have unrealistic expectations. That's part of the beauty of it. Yeah. Like, that's part of the plan, and that has to be a part of the formula. And so I would say for me, as I've, you know, started my, my business and moved down to Costa Rica and do what I do, um, I had to learn those first two or three years how to manage my expectations of myself and others. Otherwise, I was burning everyone out yeah. with, this is how... It's got to be, and this is how fast it's got to happen, and you know. So that's one way to look at managing expectations. I think the other way that I think could be more meaningful for our conversation is the expectations we have of ourselves based on who we are, where we're from, the the, the community that we're raised in, and then the expectations that that we sort of are put on us, you know, yeah, Do by you- others as well. In general. I've had a lot of conversations with young adults about this, is that how do we manage that? Our expectations of ourselves, which often have resulted from the expectations that others have for us, Mm -hmm. and how hard it can be to to differentiate which is which. Totally. Now, if you grow up in an area where there's a template for what your life should or could look like, whether someone's there saying you should do this or not, you tend to adopt it. 
Yeah. No one sat down and said, Andrew, here are your four options. I just sort of looked around and made sense in my world and said, here would be, you know, these are good things. And, you know, then there's this sort of ambiguous business category that makes, that I don't know much about or anything. And so I think growing up, my expectation of myself was that I would land in one of those areas and, and do well at it and have a boat in, you know, the things that <laughs> the I thought were, the things that I thought were way cool growing up and, you know, and like, that was my expectation of myself. And as I grew into young adulthood, I started to realize that I was wired a little differently. I'm not a rebel by nature, but just that none of those were interesting to me and they actually sounded quite miserable. All of them sounded, I was like this, that, you know. Like as you got older and learned what they were like, you thought, oh. No, not even that. I'm talking like just like 18 years old being like, man, none of that sounds cool. Like none of it does, you know, and again, no one was breathing down my neck, but you know, listen, I'm the youngest of five, all my brothers super successful, all my brother-in-laws, my sisters, my mom, my dad, like, like there was this sort of like you, you know, like there's just an expectation an of expectation success, of success, not from them, from me. Right. 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 And of course they wanted what's best for me. And so... Honestly, as, as I grew into young adulthood, for whatever reason, and I think it, like I think about this a lot and I still don't have a conclusion, but I was, I'm very wired for really loving what I do for work. I'm just in. Like, I do think some people work can be a means to an end. I don't relate to that. I don't, I respect it, you know, and there's a, big part of me that wants to be like no like love about love what you do be inspired care about what you do but there's some people that i'm just like well maybe just for them that that works yeah. right yeah um and i'm still trying to figure that out but you know as i got into like young adulthood these decisions get placed before you right and one in college was go mow lawns all summer and make you know some good cash and you know pay the bills and like Go do a fancy internship and build my resume. Go sell cell phones in the mall with my friends. They were doing really well, and they still are doing really well. Not doing they're, that. They're still not in the mall. Like they, they're <laughs> they've, they've grown up. There, and, yeah. But yeah, they they made good careers of that. Or go be a river guide. No brainer. Like for me at that age, and the expectations didn't get in the way of that. And I I'm glad they didn't. And that's kind of what I'm proud of is that I followed what. I felt really called to me, even though it didn't seem practical at the time. I was I was working, okay, I, I, it was a good job, good company, good people, right? Um, good job in that it was good experience, but I wasn't, you know, I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say how much I made coming out of college, but it wasn't <laughs> much at all, right? But I didn't know what I wanted to do, so it was just kind of a default job, okay? I'm working as a sales rep for this car auction, and... Um, this guy comes in, big company, this guy from a whole different department comes in, and I was young, so they called me the kid, mm -hmm. the whole place Everybody did. did. <laughs> and I got a young face, I look young, right? And so he's like, hey kid, I need you to go, you know, man this booth out here on this other thing. And I was working sales, I was working commissions, I was, you know, I wasn't just like salary, like, yes sir, I was, and I was respectful, but I went out and sat at this booth and did this thing for this guy who was kind of a jerk about it, and... I just, it was a defining moment of my life. I sat there and I stewed <laughs> and I got so pissed off. It just infuriated me. In what way? I was like, 
I don't like how this feels. I'm like, this isn't my job, you know, this isn't, I'm not an entitled person. I'm not a rebel by nature again, but, um, it's so almost like, like the part of in school where people get mad about doing busy work that they don't feel is moving them forward. There you go. Yeah, that's a good comparison. And so I just lit up that day and I was like, I'm going to work for myself. That's it. I know. And, and I tell young adults this because I work with young adults. It's my job. I tell them, like, go do a job. You will learn in that job what you like and what you don't like. That day in my first job out of college, I realized I was going to be an entrepreneur. I was going to work for myself. And you wouldn't was, have known that if you hadn't right, right, like, just done the work. Right. I couldn't have known that in college. I couldn't have known that sitting and meditating on a mountaintop over like, what am I supposed to do with my life? No, I knew it because a guy told me what to do and it really bothered me. And I really, and like, I think if you're going to be a business owner or an entrepreneur, you have to have a chip on your shoulder. You have to be kind of pissed off. That's fascinating. You have to, because it's too hard otherwise. <laughs> There's something in you that has to be like, that wants it so bad. And I know what it is for me and it's freedom. Hmm. The irony of, of that statement is, is that owning a business is the opposite of freedom. But eventually, if you do it well and you do it right, you're going to be free on, on some level. Whatever that means for you, whether it's financially or, or needing to work or want, you know, working as you wish and things like that. I realized that, that I was wired for that and that that's what I needed. So I had dinner at my parents' house a few nights later and I was like, I get good news. Guess what? I'm, I realized something about myself. I'm, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm never going to work for anyone else the rest of my life. And I was naive and arrogant. And so you can know all that went into that conversation. And my parents were like in your resume. And I was like, I will never give my resume to another person for the rest of my life. Right. And of course I did. Uh, um, it wasn't a straight line path to starting my own business and, and all those things. So, again, um, it wasn't that that was abnormal. My, my two other brothers had kind of entrepreneurship in their blood. And my parents are kind of like, where'd this come from? You know, they're silent generation, super stability focused, hardworking, amazing people. But they're like, where did you get this? It makes them very uncomfortable. But yeah. they've been awesome and but supportive about it. it. Yeah. So... I feel like I've totally gotten off rails on your first question, but we're talking about expectations. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, and so once again, I made a decision in that time frame to, to do something that no one expected and that actually people was kind of like starting to get people really uncomfortable. And that was, I still had this dream to go to River Guide in Costa Rica. And it, I mean, to say dream, this idea, this passion, this thing I couldn't shake. I couldn't Like it was it just in you. It's just in me. It was like, come on, man. I'm not married. Like, I'm not, I don't have large commitments in my life. Like, I got to Why am it. I not like, in Costa Rica Why right would now? I not, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I Had pulled... You, but you'd been to Costa Rica, so you knew it. No, I hadn't. What? I didn't know anybody in Costa Rica. I'd never been. You were just been. pulled to it. I was just... Well, these guys had told me that they'd river guided down there, and it was beautiful. And I thought, okay, cool. This will be great. <laughs> I had kayaked in Venezuela, like I'd, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time in Latin America, so I was very comfortable with the idea. And I pulled over on the side of the road, pulled out my flip phone, called Delta, and I'm like, do I have enough sky miles to fly to Costa Rica? Round trip. And this lady's like, and I didn't wake up that morning with the plan. <laughs> I literally was like, I'm going to call Delta and see what's going on. And this is another one of the concepts that I love teaching young adults, and that's what's the next step? What's the small next step? Whatever it may be. And for me, it was pulling over and calling Delta. That was the small next step. Hmm. No plan. Just 
Delta, can I fly to, you know? Can I get there? Can I get there? And the lady's like, yeah, you can. What dates would you like to look at? Again, I'm like 25, 26 at the time. All my friends are getting married. Like, you know, Utah cultures. You yeah, get married, you're not doing you, you the get married, You get the job. You kind of, you know, and, and that wasn't happening for me at that time. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so I called Delta and the lady's like, yeah, I, you know, types it all in. She's like, you want to book it? And I'm like, my hands start shaking. And I'm like, yeah, book it. Woohoo! Right? And like. You didn't I, even know you were going to do it that day. You just did it. Just did it just did it and like something felt awesome about that i was just like so thrilled and terrified i didn't tell anybody for weeks wow and i was like of course (laughs) i was going to quit my job and of course i was going to do all you know and like i didn't have a job so i like you know emailed all these rafting companies everybody said no and like a week before i flew down i had enough money to travel that was my plan. It's like if all it's failed and I didn't get a job, at least I'd just go travel and backpack and come home and then I would grow up. How long was the trip? Like when she said, okay, and you booked your flight. How much time did I have? Yeah. I think I had about three, four months. So I had plenty of time to plan and, and try to find something. Right. A week before I fly down, I meet a guy who knows a guy who says, I email this guy and he's like, we'll pick you up at the airport. Um, you can run, you're going to run our whitewater program, um, awesome. stay as long as you want. We have housing for you, food, and in your off time, you can hang out at our surf base or do whatever you want. Like I was in heaven. I was like, <laughs> it, like it was the coolest thing that ever happened. Landed in Costa Rica. Two guys picked me up at the airport. They're still my very close friends and they now work for my current company. Awesome. This was 16 years ago. Awesome. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Right? And again, I was just following my heart. Yeah. And I think in your 20s, you should. I honestly, nowadays, nowadays, maybe not 40 years ago, but nowadays, your 20s, go nuts, man. Like, not... Not, not completely <laughs> nuts. Go nuts in terms of, like, go experience the world, do cool things, do stuff that doesn't make sense, discover life, figure out who you are. That's I'm a big, big, big advocate of that. Don't go nuts like partying and whatnot. Like right. that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like self-discovery nuts. Yeah, make it a mess, man. My my twenties were a mess in a beautiful way. It wasn't until I started realizing that I was good at certain things that I started figuring out my path. Here's the problem, though, and this is the other part of the equation that we have to explore with these young people: is it's not just saying what are you good at, because there are certain things that people are good at that are very easy to apply to a career. Right. Okay. Um, you're great at math. You're great at chemistry. You're great at right. sciences. Okay. There's some careers that are really going to be very, and that they have a path drawn out for you. Okay. Um, you're good at, I don't know. I can't think of another I'm one. Gonna I'm going to think of you. It. Okay. At what? the beginning, when we talked about your, what you're proud of about yourself, you had kindness in there kindness I was good with people yeah well when you're good with people what do you do with that right right (laughs) and I'm good at speaking I'm good at teaching and and like you know working through ideas with people like so but there isn't a like a set path for that what's the path man and it it could be a school teacher I I explored that route in college and decided against it for a few Mm -hmm. reasons um but there wasn't a path and so what do you tell the little Andrew Taylors of the world that are like, 
okay, I'm good at these things, but I have no idea how that applies to real life. So what did I, where did I waste a lot of my energy as a kid and as a young adult? I wasted a lot of my energy trying to be something I wasn't. Yeah. Because I thought that that was what I was supposed to do. And there wasn't a clear path for my specific gifts that, that really called to me. Right. So how I wished I could have been like, yeah, I really want to be a doctor and I'm really good. I'm really good at the things that are going to make me good at being a doctor. That would have been so relieving to me at 23 years old. I bet everybody that's listening to this feels this. <laughs> like, right. I feel it. It even gives me a little bit of anxiety. I'm like, I remember that. Right? That's why I went to law school. Totally. And then and I graduated from law school. I'm like, oh, no. And I, I, tell, so I tell our students, I'm like, how, like, and even if you know right now what you want to be, I'm going to challenge you to rethink it. And just, not that we're going to throw it off the table, but I, and I always say... <laughs> I always say, I can't tell you how many attorneys I know that hate being attorney. They, they yes. hate being lawyers, right? Yeah. They hate that. And so the other thing that we need to talk about when, when I'm talking to these young people is hygiene factors. And this is what nobody told me about. Like mm-hmm. no one sat me down and said, well, let's walk through hygiene factors. And this, I got it from Clayton Christensen's book, How Will You Measure Your Life? And I don't think it's his concept, but it's this idea that we need to also, as we're discovering what we're good at, as we're figuring out how we're wired, we need to ask the question around, what do I need out of a job? Do I need structure? Do I need independence? Do I need a lot of money? People don't teach us this. No one teaches school. that. What yeah. do we say? Follow your passions. Yes. Do what you love. Right. Nothing else matters. You and never then the work other another com- day the rest of your life. Right. Like, no, that's not, no, don't say that. It's irresponsible. Like, it's true. Follow your passions. I believe that. I mean, that's how we started this whole episode, mm-hmm. right? But... But, no, like, do you want to live in a big city? Do you want to live in a small town? Do you want to live in Costa Rica? Do you want to, do you need security? Do you right. need certainty? Are you okay with uncertainty? And that's why that, that, that moment at, that, at the car auction when I got really pissed off and realized I wanted to go work for myself was so crucial. That was a hygiene factor moment for me where I knew that I wasn't going to be happy at a job long term right. unless I... Unless I had the feeling that I didn't have a roof or a ceiling or people telling me what to do. Right, right. Right? That's a hygiene factor. And, and so what I, ask our, what I ask our clients to do is go through your hygiene factors. And they don't know. I mean, all of them say, I don't want to work at a desk. Well, we all, no one of us wanted to work at a desk when we were 20. Right? right? You know? <laughs> um, but they do have a good idea. And some of them are like, yeah, money's way important to me. Great. That's important that you know that. Yeah, keep Money, it. Yeah. yeah, right. Like you're not going to be happy at a job where you're not going to fulfill those needs or whatever. And that's part of getting to know yourself. And so um, those are the kinds of conversations that I have. And I what love I, that. What I find is most young people have no concept of hygiene factors. No. No concept. I don't think we teach, like all we tell people is find, follow your passion or when you're looking at this job, nobody says to look at those things. They say to look at how much you're going to get paid and what your benefits are. Right. They don't say to think through all of this other stuff and whether you fit. Right. Totally. And so you take your hygiene factors, you take your dreams, you take your interests and what you're good at. Now, now we have a picture and then that's where I go to the next five, what are the next five steps you have to take? Five steps in not in one direction, but what are five different areas Hmm. you can take a small step such as to explore to explore these interests and these hygiene factors because some of your interests may not meet your hygiene factors fascinating 
right? Yes. And and so let's walk. Like I want to do that now. <laughs> if this conversation has caught your attention and you want to join in on conversations like this, check out our website at connectioncollaborative.com. Welcome back. You're listening to 92,000 Hours, and today we are chatting with Andrew Taylor. What do we do? We ask college What are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do? Yeah. What's your major? What are you going to be? Worst question in the world. I, I am like, like, if I could find a way to like sit down with all these college freshmen and be like, don't decide. Don't tell anyone. Don't do it. Wait till you're 27, 30, 35 <laughs> to decide what you're going to be. Work hard. Yes. Get out there. Get after it. Yes explore have fun do all those things but don't decide man in a a lot of ways what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to speak to the 23 year old version of me in the work that i do that's what drives me and that's what i enjoy about sitting down with young adults is i enjoy sitting down and saying please do not leave my program saying i want to be a doctor right no please don't do that Leave my program with a good understanding of who you are and some really fun areas you're going to explore. And that's Please. it. That's it. And embrace the messiness that will be this journey and this adventure and the uncertainty and the ups and downs of it and the expectations of the people who love you that are going to question you along the way. Like, and just freaking absorb it and let it be beautiful because it will take you places you never even thought it would. I have another question that's going to be even bigger, and I it's just because I think it'd be interesting to talk about, which is, um, like, I want to take it even more macro about, like, what are your thoughts about um, our society? Like, have we, as a country or as a, yeah, maybe, um, have we lost our risk-taking capabilities? Hmm. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I know. That's a really interesting question. Like, I don't even... Do we what talk? makes you think that? Where's that coming from? What are your thoughts on it? And then I'll think tell you that, what I think. I think that we are struggling with our ability to tolerate uncertainty. I think that we... Yes. We want... I think that I think that we live in times that are so uncertain that we are, that we struggle with it so much that we are... We're certain that we're right, <laughs> or we're certain that this is the right direction, and we can't hear each other talk. Okay, I, I see this play out in my program mm. in terms of parenting styles. Interesting. And so what I see in, in my industry is parents that, that are not willing to allow, that are, I don't know if not willing is the word, that are uncomfortable yeah. with their kids taking risks. They're afraid. They're afraid. They're uncomfortable. Listen, we're, we're living in a day where people aren't letting their kids walk home from school. Right. 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 Like Utah passed the free range law. This is like, I could talk about this all day long. Like, I don't know, we got two more hours in this thing, <laughs> but like we're living in a time where we're not letting kids walk home from school. We're not letting them play in the front yard. We're not letting them go to the park. The, yeah. the, the tall slide at the park is now half the size. Like we are not pushing our kids to take risks. And yes, I think we're absolutely seeing a very scared generation as a result of that. A nervous, an anxious, 
and a, a generation that doesn't know that they're capable of way more than they thought they were because we're coddling them. So yeah, we are not comfortable with uncertainty when it comes to our kids at all. What are we going to do? We have got to, I don't know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's I, another hour. <laughs> Well, because I'm on a podcast and because I'm smart, I know. No, I mean, I think, <laughs> like, I think, I think we've got to, we've got to, I think parents need to be accountable. Hmm. We're, we're talking about the kids who are depressed and anxious. Let's talk about the parents who are depressed and anxious. Okay. Let's talk about the anxious parents because. Right. That's what. That's what we're seeing. And, and they're. You gotta let these kids struggle. You gotta let them get cut and bruised and hurt. And listen, I have almost one-year-old twins, and I get it. Terrified that they're gonna get hurt, and that I'm. And, they, gonna, and, and hopefully they do at some point. <laughs> yeah. And then you're around to help them get through it. Right, but heaven forbid I'm I'm a negligent parent, right? And right. heaven forbid I'm I do something that re- results in serious injury or harm. Right, right. Or, and and the irony of all this, I don't know if you've read. Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now, is the world has never been a safer place. <laughs> Ever. Right? It Like, homicide, child abduction, um, you know, uh, all these things are way down. Disease, way down. Like, all this stuff, like, poverty, um, everything is, it's, it's never been a better time to be a minority, to be a woman, and, and we are terrified. We're... We're scared of the wrong things, in my opinion. We are so scared of the boogeyman right now. But you know what? We're not. You know what's not terrifying us? Giving an eight-year-old a smartphone. Yeah, that's fascinating. Suicide is up. Right. Suicide is massively up. Homicide is down. We're we will go to extreme lengths to make sure the boogeyman doesn't get our kids. And I'm not trying to be insensitive here, okay? To the but- reality of that. And it is a reality, but we will go to extreme lengths to take, to manage that, and we. But the boogeyman might be on our phone. We will give our kids smartphones and screens. Wow. And not even think twice about it. It's such a. And the screen. It's like such an important thing to talk about. Totally, it's just the irony of what's going on right now in parenting, right? And the screens are causing these young people to remain children. They're not going out and making friends. They're not going out. They're not, they're not going to get their driver's license. Why would they? They can sit in their room and get all their needs met. Right? They're not having conversations with people. They're not. They're, I mean, they, not as much. They're not, like we wandered the streets. We wandered the streets yeah. at night. My parents were strict. And I spent my junior high days walking the streets at night in safe neighborhoods and the, the weekend night was like, whose parents will let us hang out at their house? It's two miles that way. We will walk. <laughs> right? I mean, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And it won't. And I'm not trying to say that, like, we need to go back to that. But I'm saying we're missing that. It's like we, we're, we're policing the things that we know how to police. That's a good where the danger point. isn't necessarily as much, but we know we know how to. We do know that. how to police that. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. But we don't know. Yeah. Like we're confused. We don't know what the dangers are. Yeah. Of the or, or or what to do about them. Totally, totally. That's interesting. Yeah. So I mean, it's just an interesting time to be alive. Parenting has gone next level, and I'm not blame. It's easy to blame the parents, and I may sound like I am, but 
the par- the current parent, and I I am a current parent, but I'm I'm not dealing with that stuff yet. Right now, I'm just dealing with dirty diapers. But the current parent has been dealt a, a very difficult situation without a lot of clear instruction on how to manage it. Right, right. Because it's completely different than what their parents. The game has changed yeah. a thousand percent, and it's not an easy one to manage. It's not. To your point, it's easy to manage. I'll come pick you up at school instead of walking home. It's not easy to manage. Who are much, you talking to online? Who are you talking to? Who are you texting with? What apps are you on? You know, yeah. It's a very complex scenario to manage. So that's a good fair point. And how are you feeling about the comparisons that we're not talking about? Like all of that, right? Because <laughs> you might be talking to really nice people online, and yet you're feeling bad about yourself because it looks yeah. like they're having a better life than you or something. Totally. <laughs> totally. And young women are more susceptible than young men. Yeah. They're both susceptible, but young women are more susceptible, according to the research. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that you're working hard on that. <laughs> <laughs> we are. I actually am working with some people locally, and we're trying to do some education on this very thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, as you know, I'm personally really passionate about the role of mentors in our lives. Mm-hmm. So, I am interested in hearing from you. Have you had any particular mentor that was important to you and why? Ooh, it's a great question. Many, many, in, in different forms at different times. Um, coaches, a lot of coaches growing up that were hard on me and good for me. I, I now seek out coaches. Um, I've, since starting my business, I've realized I really need coaching and mm-hmm. I need that outlet. Um, and so I've got a great coach mentor right now. Awesome. Um, I've got, I'm, I need help, so I, I usually, well, yeah, I usually reach out to a lot of people and try and find people, and I, what I find is, is that there's a time frame that certain people make sense. Yeah. Not that I'm, like, burning and churning, but, like, that and there are certain times where different reasons where, where mentors really, really help you, you know. In my adult life, I've learned that I have to seek it out, where in my adolescence and, you know, kind of young adult there's more structure built to give that to you. I think that's but I think we all need it constantly. I will always have a mentor. Always. I have a, a question I didn't intend to ask, but how, what advice do you give to people who are adults about seeking out a mentor? Like, how do you actually do it? Because I think that's something we struggle with figuring out how to ask for that. That's a good question. I, I, I mean, hiring a coach is one if they can, if they can afford it. Um... I, that's it. That's my go-to. Like, you know, I, I think that, I think that people could benefit from coaching and I don't think it always has to be therapy. Right. I think we all should go through some form of therapy. I do. I think every person, no matter who you are, what you're doing would benefit from some self-awareness around your life. Um, not that it has to be a deep dive, but I think there's a time and a place for that and it's healthy. Beyond that, I don't think it, I think just having an outlet, having a, a third party that is not attached to your results, mm-hmm. not a spouse, not a boss, not a coworker, but that can really sit down and be like, hey, your thinking's off, or your thinking's on, or man, just you're, asking you're, good questions. you're really upset about this, why do you think that is, you know, and asking, that has the ability to do that. All right, yeah. so my last question is, um, goes back to the theme of the podcast so if you're spending 92,000 hours at work Uh um what and and I def I firmly believe and I I bet you do too that um time is our 
biggest and most precious resource. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes what you're doing worth that investment? That I enjoy, I enjoy it, and I feel like I'm making a difference. Like that makes it worth it, and it makes me. I'm good at it. Yeah. You know, it, it's there's a lot of things I suck at. This I can do. You know what I mean? And that that is that makes it worth my time. And um, and kind of in, you know bringing full circle everything we've talked about. And it, I guess it's already been said, but just I feel like I'm my best self in this setting. Yeah. And I feel that I'm able to contribute the most good to the world in this setting. And I get paid for it. You know, it's not volunteer, you know, like, and it contributes a lot of good to me, my family, my life in, in just so many ways other than money or this is where I spend my time. My sincerest thanks to Andrew for taking the time to tell us about his experience. We recorded this episode prior to the pandemic, and since that time, Andrew has taken another calculated risk and started an additional business, Octagon Mentoring. You can learn more about Andrew by connecting with him on LinkedIn, and you can learn more about his companies, Pure Life, on their website, purelifeadventure.com, and Octagon Mentoring at octagonmentoring.com. In our next episode, I will be speaking to Susan Arsht. Susan is a professor of management and she holds a PhD in intercultural communication. Her research focuses on quality connections, positive relationships, and organizational climate. Just in time for Halloween, we will be speaking about fear and strategies to push ourselves out of our comfort zones. Join us. As always, Thank you for listening to 92,000 Hours. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate your support. If you're interested in integrating the personal and professional through authentic conversation, just like you heard on our episode today, please check out our work at Connection Collaborative. You can find us at connectioncollaborative.com or send me an email at annalisa at connectioncollaborative.com. Thank you and see you next week on 92,000 Hours. 92,000 Hours is made possible by Connection Collaborative. This episode was produced and edited by Brianna Stegel. Lexi Banks is our marketing director, and I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb.